Hello and welcome to Ghosts Were People Too, a podcast that investigates ghosts through the lens of the arts and humanities. I'm Quest. And I'm Annabelle. And as it says in our tagline, we are investigating ghosts through the humanities. Right. And as you probably know, the humanities include ancient and modern languages, literature, philosophy, history, archaeology, anthropology, human geography, law, politics, religion, and art really any medium through which the human spirit can express itself. Did you say medium? I did. And we are going to be calling upon several media today, one of which is photography. And how it developed alongside the spiritualist movement of the 19th century. But let's start off with some history, some linguistics, and some actual human mediums. When we're talking about ghosts and spiritualism, what is a medium, Quest? A medium is a person who channels spirits or spiritual forces, often in performative or commercial contexts. And one of those performative contexts is called a seance. No, just kidding. Um, (laughs) I'm sorry. I was concerned. I could not help myself. I, I always wanted to name a child seance. He's cringing. You can't see it, but he's cringing. What I meant to say was a seance, um, which is also sometimes called a sitting, although I think seance is the more common word now. Um, And that's an event in which a medium performs ghostly phenomena for an audience of willing participants. Originating in the 18th century was a school of parapsychological thought called mesmerism. It was also called animal magnetism, and it revolved around psychic phenomena and hypnotic trances. And all of these terms uh, fall under the umbrella of spiritualism, which is the movement that we're going to be focusing upon today. Uh, This is a movement of belief in otherworldly phenomena and communication with the afterlife. We've got a few more terms, and then we're going to take you on that journey in just a moment. Yeah, and these are more other branches of spiritualism. We're probably not going to get too far into them today. Um, If you are at all familiar with contemporary ghost media, you might be familiar with the phrase paranormal psychology so the reason that that term is used because that's definitely not related to psychology as we know it today that term was established in its modern sense in 1890 but before that it described the presence of the otherworldly or posthumous psyche hence psychology then we have theosophy which is actually still thriving in los angeles today um And this was a late 19th century school of spiritualism that introduced aspects of Eastern spirituality, like reincarnation and karma, uh, into spiritualist beliefs. And lastly, separate from spiritualism, we have Spiritism, which was founded by Allan Kardec. It's a school of thought derived from spiritualism and theosophy, which believes that spirits can be contacted or materialized between incarnations. Tell me more. So the 19th century had many circumstances that really just set the stage for spiritualism to take hold. Um, It was the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, which was a period of transition greater than any seen previously. 
Um, some of these changes from the mid 19th century included technological innovation, increased literacy, win- women, <laughs> women's suffrage. <laughs> You're welcome. Labor reform and the publication of On the Origin of Species by Charles Darwin. Uh, Darwin's writing unsettled religious and spiritual beliefs. It really sent the Christian world into just chaos in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when it comes to pop culture, there was the interest in Magic Lantern and Phantasmagoria shows, which um, often were peppered with supernatural imagery like demons and skeletons. This was also the heyday for a lot of gothic literature, which of course showed that there was an appetite for fictional monsters among the reading public. Um, in 1902, Carl Jung wrote that the atmosphere was right for the emergence of spiritualism, including, quote, a deep-seated longing for anything extraordinary and abnormal. So it seems like at this time there was a lot of change um, both technologically and in terms of ideas, and that got people seeking. I feel like in a lot of ways it's parallel to what we're going through right now, um, where everything is changing so quickly and there's so much new information that everyone's a little bit overwhelmed. Is that kind of what you were getting from some of this research that was the impression i was getting yeah i think so and i also just think that the anxieties were there Mm -hmm. and we'll talk more about how this specifically touches on like death and the deceased and mortality um but already we are noticing like great social change as i think you indicated and also um the change of just like living circumstances Mm -hmm. through all this technology. And one thing that we're going to see is the incorporation of this technology into an attempt to prove these various supernatural beliefs. Yeah. And I'm definitely going to be talking about this later when we get into spirit photography, but there is, it seems to me a huge push and pull of, trying to prove belief and also trying to debunk belief. Um, And it's just going back and forth and back and forth from sometimes the same parties. Um, And so there's a lot of, uh, I think there's going to be a theme today of um, proving, debunking science and spirituality, but also science versus spirituality. I would say not just a theme, but also a cycle. It's definitely each person, (laughs) each act has its own cycle of uh, the the inception, the rise in popularity, the outcry, and then often the, like, pulling back the veil. Yes. So I'm going to give you a couple... Of the most important mediums, these were the ones who in my research popped up the most frequently, who clearly had the biggest spiritualist oeuvre. Um, There are so many people that we could talk about and will probably come up in future episodes as we delve into specific media talking about them. Um, So I've divided this into four different 
they're not even four different people, but because some of them are groups, but we got four different spiritualist who's who. <laughs> All right. All right. I said spiritualists. Really, these are mediums. So our first are the Fox sisters. We have Leah Fox, Maggie Fox, and Kate Fox. They were all born in the early 1800s, and they all died in rather quick succession in the 1890s. And if I'm correct about this, these are the sisters who are often cited as the quote-unquote founders of the spiritualist movement. Like, they were the first... um, to in in recorded pop culture to uh discover <laughs> so i'm going to qualify that with in the 19th century there is some 18th century murmurings that's where mesmerism comes from um and also later on in their career there were mentions of not only practices that were connected to theirs but also specific people who had done it before i didn't take those names down but some of what they were doing was already known. It just hadn't definitely caught on the way it had, and it definitely didn't feed into the same stream that mm-hmm. spiritualism would later. Yeah, another theme of the research that I did was that a lot of these things seem to be very collective discoveries. Um, however, we have these big names that are emblematic of different stages of this history. And so I think it's it's safe to say that almost any big names that we mention here were probably backed up by friends, colleagues, and people on the other side of the world doing the exact same thing at the same time who just didn't happen to get credited with the same discoveries. So... Of the Fox sisters, we start with Maggie and Kate. These were the two youngest sisters. Um, They began drawing attention in 1848 in Hydesville, New York, with their spirit wrappings, where their house was allegedly haunted by this ghost of some criminal or beggar. And um, there were these strange knocking sounds in the walls. Oh. So first they just drew attention because there was this knocking and they would kind of interact with it. Um, Eventually, when they started getting a lot of attention, um, this led to the inklings, the first inklings of the Ouija board, where they would speak to their haunting presence and they would ask it yes or no questions and then it would knock for yes or no, you know, one or two Um, And then this led eventually to a method with the alphabet where they would list letters and then it would knock with the corresponding letter and that could provide the ghost with a name. And then also this gathering, people coming to watch the Fox sisters in action were the first seances of this period. Um, The Fox sisters themselves were also a prototype for later mediums with this cycle we've been alluding to. Um, They had devout followers, they were ridiculed by skeptics, and then there was also religious backlash. At their first speaking engagement, they sold out in the auditorium, but riots broke out and they were called heretics. Um, It's also worth noting that this was a period with a lot of theatrical riots, so that's not 
super abnormal, but it does show that what the Fox sisters were doing in spiritualism was as inflammatory as what Alfred Jarry or Sergei Diaghilev were doing in the theater. So when I think about the Fox sisters uh, getting all of this notoriety, causing riots, all of that, um, you know, I, I came across them when I was reading about spirit photography, but I didn't do any deep research. But I seem to remember, didn't one or maybe a couple of the sisters end up denouncing spiritualism? So so what's going on here? Are, do you think that they're trying to cause a riot? Do you think they got caught up in this? Is this like, you know, the Salem witch trials hysteria going on with these sisters? So I don't think it was exactly intentional. I think that they were pulling a hoax for popularity and why I'm not sure I have the answer. I think we're going to want to return to that towards the end, but with their denouncement, I think that partially they had been um, so controversial for so long, and now they kind of wanted to return to social propriety mm. because when um, they did give it up, so first Leah and Maggie start, stopped practicing spiritualism in 1861, um, but Kate's career was soaring. And part of that was because Leah and Maggie got married and started having children. Uh. Um, now, I don't know which one follows which, if they stopped and then got married or if they got married and then stopped. Uh, I cannot recall off the top of my head. But there's definitely a certain connection there. It's really interesting that they wanted to have potentially a more quiet life um, they got married, maybe were trying to join, quote-unquote, normal society. Um, and I read earlier today that spiritualism was actually deeply connected with abolitionist and women's rights movements. And so I just want to point out that there's a possibility that this was not just like, oh, we don't want to be woo-woo witchy people anymore. It was more so we don't want to be on the fringes of society. We don't want to be questioning uh, what womanhood is. Um, and I think that's deeply embedded in spiritualism as well. And I, I mean, of course, we're speculating here, but I, I think that that says a lot. Yeah. Um, what also was happening towards the end of their careers and lives is that one of the sisters was struggling with pretty severe alcoholism. Mm. Um, so in the 1880s, Maggie and Kate disavowed spiritualism. They exposed their methods. But they also, there was a little bit of infighting between the three of them. And then they die, uh, Leah in 1890, Maggie in 1893, and Kate in 1892. And that's the Fox sisters in a very abbreviated life story or spiritualism life story. More sources in the show notes if you want to learn more about any of these really fascinating characters. Moving on from the Fox sisters, we will move on to the Davenport brothers, Ira and William Davenport. Ooh, so this is kind of like 
Nancy Drew versus the Hardy Boys. Yes. Tonight, the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew meet Dracula. Yeah. So Ira was born in 1839, William in 1841. They were some of the first notable male mediums. They rose to fame in 1854 as stage magicians slash mediums. They were pioneers of the spirit cabinet, which we'll talk about more later. Um, And it featured prominently in their illusions and supernatural escape artistry. Um, I guess I better just talk about the spirit cabinet now. Yeah, I want to know about this. I actually don't know anything about spirit cabinets. Basically, it was just a big wooden box. Sometimes it could just be another room where you are having the sitting. So something else nearby if you're in the parlor and there's, I don't know, whatever next room um, can serve as your spirit cabinet. But sometimes it was a big constructed wooden box. Actually, I'm pretty sure the Davenport brothers brought one with them. So this is one of those things where it's like you set your glass down on someone's table and they're like excuse me madam that is my spirit cabinet and and then it's a conversation starter and you get to tell all of your aristocratic friends about how this is not just a box well it's not just any box i think that it's a i actually didn't look into any pictures i think it's bigger than that quest how could you find out about something called a spirit cabinet and not look up pictures I'm going to go. <laughs> so what we're having is a lot of Wayfair sheep. <laughs> That's not what I want. See? So the Davenport Brothers spirit cabinet was big enough that the two of them could sit down and have musical instruments in it. Musical instruments often featured in their act. They would sometimes allegedly float around the room and play themselves. Ooh. Ooh. So this is the kind of cabinet that is actually too big to set a glass of water down on. Yes. Okay. This is like, um, it looks to me when I'm looking at this image, it looks like a wardrobe of some kind. Yes. A wardrobe is a really good, it's like a closet. That's, it's sometimes called a closet. Okay. So the Davenport brothers as stage magicians were repeatedly exposed because it was all just, oh my God. (laughs) I have the maturity of a 10-year-old boy. I'm so sorry. Like any stage magician or park flasher, the Davenport brothers were repeatedly exposed. Um, And though later in life after William passed away, Ira did confess their trickery to none other than Harry Houdini. And this is just the first of many tricksters who are going to show up in the story of spiritualism, I should note. Yes. Um, So Ira did profess, yes, this had all just been a trick. There were no actual ghosts being brought forth. Um, Evidence does point towards a private belief in spiritualism that he may have written in certain like diaries or private correspondence. So another man in the spiritualist canon is D.D. Hume. That's spelled like home, pronounced Hume. Now, Annabelle, you might be wondering, what does the D.D. stand for? Double D? Is this like uh, Ed, Ed, and Eddie? It stands for Daniel Dunglas. 
Shut up. So I wrote in my notes, I like had taken a long time since I had looked at them last. And the first time I wrote it is Douglas. And then I was looking back and I was like, oh, his name was not Douglas. It is Dunglas. Today by Dr. Dan Dungus, a expert from UCLA. Welcome to the show, Dr. Don. I mean, he could have just gone by Daniel and nobody would have thought of his middle name. I Lots of these spiritualists are just a full trifecta, first, middle, last. I don't know what's up. I guess that was probably just something Victorian. Yeah, I mean, it is fun, Didi. So, Daniel Douglas Hume garnered a reputation as the greatest medium of the 19th century. He rose to prominence due to knocking, like the Fox sisters, but his mediumship specialized in trances and manifestations. He was best known for the Ashley House levitation, in which he allegedly exited from a high window several stories up and then re-entered through another window on the same story of the house. Wow. That is like some David Blaine stuff. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to freak your bean. You want to see some magic? Oh my god, you're David Blaine! I'm just, I'm, I'm here for all of the dumb cultural references, yeah. clearly, um, <laughs> to, to support you in, in sharing this research. Um, but that is impressive. If it was true. It is it's been, impressive if it wasn't true. That is true. How he pulled it off uh, can only be speculated about the speed with which he allegedly appeared out the second window would be pretty rapid for him like tiptoeing on the railing of the house or anything like that mm-hmm. i don't remember if they had any good idea of how it was done um that's actually part of what was up with dd hume so he had this reputation of being the only medium from this period who was never disproven and that is just not true he was repeatedly debunked he was satirized and we're gonna read a section of a poem satirizing him Mm -hmm. it is a 60 page poem that you can find online for free because it's so old that's dedication yes Another notable thing about Hume is that he didn't accept payment, he didn't sell tickets, unlike the Fox sisters and the Davenport brothers, but he did do sittings with royalty, including Napoleon III. Later, I'm going to tell you a really fun story about him and some Russian emeralds. Oh, man. Give me the emeralds, Sonic. (laughs) No, man. Now you're you're doing it. Uh, Oh, a poem by Robert Browning. Now don't, sir, don't expose me just this once. This was the first and only time I'll swear. Look at me, see, I kneel. The only time I swear I ever cheated, yes, by the soul of her who hears your sainted mother, sir. All except this last accident was truth, this little kind of slip. And even this, it was your own wine, sir, the good champagne. I took it for Catawba, you're so kind, which put the folly in my head. It sounds like uh, Robert Browning was on to this guy. (laughs) (laughs) You think he was ever exposed, maybe? You think he was ever maybe shown to be fraudulent? No, no. um, Clearly, it was not part of of the conversation at the time that this guy was a fraud. And we're talking about like a group of people where there were many notable and prominent women. And it's so interesting that the person who is claimed to be the greatest medium and the medium who was never disproven 
was a man. Mm-hmm. That's suspicious. That's weird. Now, speaking of somebody who was exposed, we have Florence Cook, who is, I would say after the Fox sisters, probably like the number two. Um, we don't even know when she was born. She kind of appeared and said that she was 16, so it's estimated that she was born in 1856, but that is not definite. She was a protege of established mediums Frank Hearn and Charles Williams. Florence Cook began her career as a medium um, best known for her manifestations, namely through her spirit guide, Katie King. Cook would sit bound inside a spirit cabinet while Katie King entertained the sitters. So Katie King is a ghost who is interacting with the people and Cook is responsible for channeling her into this room. Channel, operative word is channel. Mm -hmm. That's a reference to Real Housewives, I'm sorry. Oh. Um, so, in 1874, uh, Florence Cook did her last performance with Katie King. She was sobbing. Some notable people were there. And after she stopped manifesting Katie King, her patron, Charles Blackburn, who was paying her a lot of money, I think he even had her in his will, um, he ceased supporting her financially. She resumed holding seances later in her life, but she was repeatedly shown to be fraudulent until her death in 1904. Meanwhile, despite Florence Cook not working with Katie King, Katie King now becomes this sort of deity in the spiritualist pantheon. Other um, spiritualists would conjure spirit guides and, oh, this it's Katie King again, or somebody had Katie King's father there it was kind of a name that just gets passed around who the alleged alive katie king was i cannot tell you but she kind of outlived florence cook and her career wow it's so interesting to think that once this uh spirit disappears from her her life um that's enough to completely ruin her career that that her patron says you know I, I only i only wanted you for the the ghost um that is so fascinating and that she lives on through other mediums yeah despite any debunking as well right somebody did um try to seize katie king one time during a performance he grabbed her bodily but everybody else was kind of not into that mm -hmm. um later on we also had somebody claiming that if you seized the spirit guide during the seance that it could kill the medium and somebody else pointed out that all of the mediums that happened to were alive and well so <laughs> uh. Lots of superstition going on here, obviously. That should not at all be surprising. That's pretty really self-evident. Convenient superstition. Do not touch the medium. If you touch the medium, she will die. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Yeah. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. <laughs> Which brings us to the seance. <laughs> all right. Let's talk about the seance. Um, so 
So the seance was a huge spectacle. It was a kind of performance in the 19th century. It does live on to this day, and so we're all probably pretty familiar with pop culture examples of the seance. And as we'll talk about a little bit later probably, um, our entire view of ghosts and how they operate in the contemporary context is so deeply rooted in the beliefs of 19th century spiritualism because it was such a fad, such a huge movement that it just it really gathered in the collective unconscious that now things that we think of as being rather obvious or ancient actually only date back to the mid-1800s. Mm-hmm. So the basics of a seance, you have a medium or a chandler or whatever, and you have a group of sitters, and they're gathered around a table, hence the sitting. And Which, if you forgot, that's what it's sometimes called. Yes. Sitting. And um, they would convene around a table, and spirits would communicate with them by rapping or by moving the table. And- <laughs> no, young Danny Phantom, he was just 14. <laughs> He's a phantom. Um, rapping as in knocking on things in the room. Or, as the Fox sisters did, cracking the knuckles of their toes oh. so loudly that it sounded like somebody was knocking on the walls. Again, almost as impressive as an actual ghost being conjured, in my humble opinion. Um, Not good for your joints. No, but they did retire eventually. <laughs> my, my toes just can't take it anymore. I have to tell them it was all a lie. Um, how else? What are some other things that would happen? And so the alternative really, um, and that hasn't lived on the same way as this cartoon, people around a table holding hands, is the spirit cabinet. The medium would disappear into the spirit cabinet. Things would happen while they were in there. A, go- a ghost would materialize in the room with the sitters. Um, and then eventually the ghost would be dispelled and the mediums would come back out. Um And sometimes we have things floating. Typically, the lights were very low. Likely, lights were very low anyway at this time because we didn't have. Right. We're in the period of gas, right? Like, electric lighting is going to be introduced around the turn of the century, pretty much, or at least become more popular. Oh, I was going to ask you um, since we're talking about a medium. Uh, And in pop culture now, we think of a person uh, maybe closing their eyes and, you know, saying, oh, um, yes, I I see him. He's in in a red shirt and he's he's telling me he's telling me he still loves you. You know, Uh, was there any sort of channeling or uh, like possession or trance like states that the mediums would go into so yeah certain mediums were known as trance mediums uh hume and cook were both typically trance mediums whereas others kind of leaned more towards the knocking and since that's a more active i have to be an awake person um as far as possession none of my research gave any information on that Um, interesting i don't know why that was 
kind of what I assumed was going on. It must have been something that I've seen. You know what? It, I mean, honestly, my and I can't wait to do an episode on it. But when I think of a seance, I think of the Isle of Lucy episode. Ah. Um, and in that one, Ethel is doing a whole bit as a telephone operator. Ethel to Tilly. <laughs> Ethel to Tilly. <laughs> Come in, Tilly. And she kind of becomes the telephone. The ghost starts speaking through her. I feel like I must have gotten it through TV and movies. I I can't conjure up the, you know. Which reference. Right. But um, it's interesting that that wasn't necessarily a prominent feature of a lot of these seances. Yeah, as far as I can tell, because I think that most of it was this idea that um, the the ghost either is talking to you through some sort of material like wood or a Ouija board or automatic writing yeah. um, or the ghost is appearing to you directly mm-hmm. and I think that the idea of the medium speaking the words of the ghost, though I do think that that sometimes did happen because there were things that were called trance lectures, uh-huh. um, which did seem to be a medium speaking while in a trance. Right. Um, my guess is that that would maybe make the separation between performer and performance a little too thin, make you a little bit too subject to skepticism that, like, right. well none of us can prove that whereas like we can see the candelabra floating Mm -hmm. it's yeah you could imagine that that person is saying whatever they want to say and all of this is making me think of uh more contemporary tv psychic personalities like the long island medium um which anyone who i know who enjoys watching that show they almost always you know, say that it's entertainment, but then they end up buying into it in some way. Um, um, I was also thinking of uh, John Edward, uh, who would really work the crowd almost like an evangelical preacher um, and read people in whatever way that he did um, to talk to their dead relatives, to learn things about them that seem impossible. Um, and so it really has become uh, a form of entertainment unto itself. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a worthwhile yeah. point. Have you ever seen this guy at work? I don't know. It's super weird. <laughs> Welcome to Crossing Over. My name's John Edward. Keep an open mind. I'm going to go to where I'm being pulled. Why is Niagara Falls significant? We What's were just there. You were just at Niagara Falls. Okay. Me and my daughter. Did you find a feather there? Yes. And, a, my and did you tell your daughter that was from Daddy? Yes. Okay, so I think if I remember correctly, we promised we'd be talking more about ectoplasm in our last episode. Um, we said, oh, more ectoplasm to come. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> please, sir, can I have some more ectoplasm? Here it is. Hey, wait, wait, this. why are they both children? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> well, here's your ectoplasm. Um, what, what is ectoplasm? So ectoplasm was a term originating from cell biology, 
But in 1895, Charles Ruchet used it to describe a filmy white substance that was produced by the medium Eusepia Palladino. Ew. Yeah. So she would exude this some way out of her orifices or out of her clothing. Thanks. I I already hated it. And <laughs> I hate it even more now. <sighs> and it was just another one of these seance tricks. They are I mean, the more I talk about them, the more they really do just sound like magic and sleight of hand. And that's what they largely were. It's just that when you go see a magician, you know that it's fake nowadays and you are excited by the prospect of, oh, how did he do that? Mm -hmm. Whereas at this time, these things are all being pulled off with the idea that they are authentic. Well, I think there's also a very uh, blurry line here like you were saying earlier, between the performance and the desire to experience it as a performance, and also a really deep desire to contact the dead. Um, I think in a lot of ways, this is more akin to, uh, at the time, going to some sort of uh, maybe fringe religious service where you're maybe not sure if you are a believer, but there's some seriousness to it. Um, there's this desire to participate in a way that might convince you um, more so than like, you know, oh, we're going to the magic castle and they right. have the best tricks up their sleeve. Um, although there probably were some people who were attending seances who felt that way. Yeah, right? just and, for the hell of it. And it probably depended on the particular place you were going in the medium that was doing the seance. Right. And also I think that it's worth considering with the term coming straight from cell biology when we're talking about ectoplasm that this part of it is just being derived from the idea that there's so much we don't know or mm -hmm. didn't know about science that something new could be discovered. Things are being discovered all the time. Right. And there was such low scientific literacy, as we would say nowadays, that I think people were willing to consider this just as valid as anything else that was coming out of the time, which would probably, to them, sound just as unlikely. You know, if I, right. if I point this machine at you, beams that you cannot see will shine through, and here's a picture of your insides. <laughs> yeah, um... I'm I'm just looking up here because I can't remember off the top of my head when germ theory was first oh, accepted. Yeah. I know it was post-Civil War because I have deeply implanted in my mind um, imagery of limbs being sawn off, sawed, sawn, <laughs> limbs being sawed off and then, you know, going on to the next guy immediately after with right. no cleaning. Um, but I imagine it must have been sometime around this time. Yeah, okay, so like... 1880s. Okay, so it's um, pretty contemporary with the kind of latter half of 19th century spiritualism, because it does, of course, persist into the 20th century. Right. I mean, it, that that kind of discovery turns the world on its head. Right. It makes you uh, almost have to question right. how everything works. Yeah. Um. 
So connected to ectoplasm, not literally, but thematically. <laughs> Thank the Lord. <laughs> mediums also manifested body parts, most notably hands or faces. Mm. Sometimes there would just be whole animate spirits like Katie King, and these things would interact with sitters or with objects in the room. Um, and many times, mediums would claim that they had contacted famous people's ghosts or they would use spirit guides and they would discuss a sitter's past lives. Mm. My favorite one was that uh, one medium claimed that the person she was speaking to had a past life that was like some royalty from Mars, if I recall correctly. Wow. Yeah. That is some new age. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is totally appropriate because this was setting the stage for for all of that kind of stuff right so lastly on the topic of the specific spectral phenomena the london dialectical society published a 400 page report detailing their findings regarding spirit phenomena uh lisa morton summarizes among its assertions were that wrappings and movement of furnishings occurred that 13 witnesses saw levitation of objects and, in some cases, men, 14 witnesses saw and or touched whole or partial human forms, 13 witnesses heard music, 5 witnesses saw red-hot coals held without injury, 3 witnesses saw drawings produced faster than human agency should be capable of, 6 witnesses received prophecies which proved accurate, and evidence was also provided of trance speaking, of healing, of automatic writing, of the production of flowers and fruit into closed rooms, of voices in the air, of visions in crystals and glasses, and of the elongation of the human body. I don't know exactly what that one entails. I guess it just means kind of an optical illusion that your the body has stretched. That, I think that was actually about Hume. That is some incredible nightmare fuel. <laughs> Ooh. That would be really cool in some sort of contemporary ghost media. I mean, I do think of the yeah. faces in uh, Beetlejuice. Uh-huh. But those are the ghosts, not a person. Yeah. But Ooh. listening to this list, I'm sure you can hear lots of things that pop up in, co in pop culture all the time. I mean... I also think of the stretching room in Disney's Haunted Mansion. Is this haunted room actually stretching? Or is it your imagination? Hmm? Are my fingertips actually stretching? Or is it your imagination? Hmm? And then also I think the detailing of like the number of people who saw each one, and these are our bona fide witnesses, really speaks to the attempts at scientific accuracy the attempt to understand all of this with a what we would consider nowadays questionable amount of scientific rigor and we are going to see a lot more of that um in the next part of this episode where we're going to be talking about spirit photography because it is all about the debunking, and there is uh, a major trial that we're going to talk about. Um, yeah. So, our last two things about spiritualism as a whole. I'm going to give you just a quick list of some prominent allies of spiritualism. Some considered themselves spiritualists, others were just interested in it, but 
these are people who seemed to buy into it. So we have the scientists William Crookes and Alfred Russell Wallace. We have the writers Elizabeth Barrett Browning, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Andrew Lang, Lewis Carroll, Alfred Lord Tennyson. We have the explorers Richard F. Burton and Henry Morton Stanley. The activists Robert Dale Owen and Frederick Douglass. The artist Hilma of Clint. And the philosopher Henri Bergson. So that is a lot of, like, yeah. I feel like the average listener will have at least heard of three of these people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a lot of big names. Yeah. Um, which just goes to show how huge this phenomena was. Right. Um, it was a really a major cultural movement, or maybe you could call it a countercultural movement. Um, but really, it, it blurs the lines between cultural and countercultural because it was so much embedded in what was going on uh, at this time in American and European yeah, history. It was the moment. It was the moment. <laughs> so returning to Robert Dale Owen, uh, he was a labor reformer, and he published his theory of how spirit communication functioned in The Spiritualist at Work in 1874, including six major components of the movement's understanding of the phenomena. You want to read this? Sure. Um, quick, quick note. It's interesting that he was a labor reformer. I, speaking of all of the names that we uh, just listed, I, I think that also shows how this movement was intertwined with a lot of other movements, like I was yeah. saying earlier. So yet another one besides abolition, uh, women's rights. Now we also have um, a proponent a proponent of the labor movement. Well, there's actually one more. I was going to get into this later, but the other social justice movement that a lot of spiritualists were interested in was the beginnings of animal rights. Huh. And specifically opposing um, vivisection, if I recall correctly, was like their big like battle that they were fighting, that if I recall so correctly. interesting. I know. Wow. Well, the more you know. So according to Owens. Okay. Number one. Should we? Yeah, the numbers are good, I think. Oh, well, you want to switch off? No, I was just going to say, should we um, do a little reminder of what we were talking about? Because we really went off. Yeah, I guess so. Um, yeah. So Annabelle is going to present to you the six major components of how spiritualism, at least from Owens' perspective, understood the phenomena that they were dealing with. All right. Number one, after one dies, they enter a phase in which their identity may still exist. So this is the continuation of a person's, without using the word, but a person's soul or spirit. Two, the deceased may communicate with the living under certain conditions. Three, Spirits can perform certain extraordinary tasks, but manifesting their posthumous abilities is difficult and render communication unreliable. Four, it is easiest for spirits to communicate when they are in accordance with their audience. This may be conscious or unconscious on the part of the living. That's really interesting. Yeah. That there's this relationship Right, well, and it also kind of just means that if you're a believer, it will happen. And if you're not a believer, 
it won't happen and really is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Which is really not an uncommon belief amongst people who still believe in ghosts. Right. You know, you, you have to want you to You have to be attuned to Right, it. yeah. Okay, five. The presence of a medium or gifted person is one of the conditions for spirit communication. Wow, it sounds like the Catholic Church. <laughs> no shade. Or, or am I throwing shade? Okay, six. Spirit communication and manifestation are governed by the rules of science that are imperfectly understood. That reminds me of uh, monster theory. Oh. Which one? <laughs> well, in what way? Um, well, I, I'm just thinking about how um, there's this requirement that you are at the threshold of understanding. Mm, yeah. Um, so this inherently exists, according to Robert Dale Owen, in this uh, sort of nebulous uh, space between knowledge and uh, future scientific knowledge. Um, you're never you're never totally in the know. It's always at the the edges of your understanding. Okay, I see that. Yeah. All right. Now, tell me about spirit photography. Well, Quest, I have a proposition. Okay. How would you feel about making this a two part episode? It might be a good idea. Um, we are about an hour in. Okay. And I think that we could maybe pause here, take a little break, yeah. and come back. Okay. Thank you for joining us in part one of this spiritualism episode. If you want to hear more about spiritualism, particularly about spirit photography and how that influenced the movement and how it influenced our culture, then join us for part two. And if you want to comment on anything that we have said today, share resources, or just say, hey, I kind of liked that, then feel free to reach out at Ghost Were People 2 on socials and at GWP2, the number two, pod at gmail.com to email us. If you're listening to this when it comes out, we hope you have a very safe and lovely Thanksgiving. Maybe impress your relatives with something that you learned today. <laughs> and as it says on the Ouija board, goodbye. Goodbye.